Father, thank you as we grow in prayer as a church. Thank you that you are here among us, and we ask that you open up your word to us as we dive into what it means to have a flourishing life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be with you all. Uh, A question for you to get us started. What is the best birthday celebration you've ever had? Oh, hand went up right away. I like it. Go ahead. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't. It felt like hours, but it was probably only about an hour, forty-five minutes. But it was intense and fun, and I landed my plane in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, awesome. Flight simulators are fun. What else? Other birthday celebrations. Surprise parties tend to be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you when you get to yell surprise and everybody, I remember my grandma's. I I think it was her sixtieth, and it was at my house. I was a kid at the time, and she walked in. And I don't think you should do surprise parties at that point in life because it's just like there's going to be some danger at that point. But the the congratulatory yell, the surprise, the happy birthday, the yay. One of my favorites that wasn't even mine, um, Judah, our uh, oldest son, his first birthday, we went all out for. I mean, it was at Darian's parents' house. They had a big house at the time. We probably had 75, 100 people there. Rock star theme. You had a, we did the full-on photo booth before photo booths were in. It's like, oh, like maybe we started that. Um, did the cake, the full shebang, like all out first birthday. Singing him happy birthday, yay! And here Josiah is just sitting there. I mean, Judah, excuse me, sitting there just doing nothing. Has done nothing to deserve this. I mean, really, if I'm honest with us, that party was probably more for me and Darianne and much more for Darianne because she actually did something to make sure that that happened that day, right? J- Judah did nothing. He probably pooped more than he should have, or I mean, he had lots of blowouts, but that's another story. So, but it was this congratulatory moment for somebody that had done nothing. It was this celebration, this excitement, uh, well done, Judah, for somebody that has done nothing or seemingly has done nothing. He, he came to the party with really nothing to offer in a lot of ways, except it was him and who he was, that he was our kids. He was our kid. That is why we celebrated him. Uh, it, now, let me ask you another question. Have you ever been congratulated for something that you didn't want to be congratulated for? Have there ever been an opportunity, and think in your mind, has there ever been an opportunity that says, hey man, great job, and you're like, I wasn't trying to do great at that, or I don't want to be known for that, or that's not part of me that maybe I want to be celebrated or congratulated on. Today's passage 
is going to be in many ways a congratulations on both what we have, something that we have not done to deserve, and a congratulations on something that you least expect. Something that you maybe not want to be celebrated for. As we mentioned, as we just read, we're in uh, the Beatitudes. This is in the, uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the middle of this series that we've titled Flourish because this is Jesus's vision for what it means to flourish in his kingdom. You want to know what the happy life is like? You want to know what the good life is like? You want to know what the blessed life is like in the mind of Jesus? This is the passage of scripture that you go to. Generally in Matthew 5 verse uh, through 7, but specifically the passage today. And so what we're going to see is Jesus flips the idea of flourishing in his culture and ours on its head. He redefines what human flourishing looks like. He himself fulfills it. And then what does he do for those of us that seemingly have failed that picture? So let me ask you this question. When you think of someone who's thriving as a person, what comes to your mind? Healthy. Healthy, yeah. Somebody who uh, is health, safety, they're whole, there's no brokenness physically in them. What else? Work. Work, what do you mean? Driving work, maybe they're getting promotions or... Okay, so yeah, there's a, a forward momentum, there's a progress that's being made if you're, if you're flourishing, you're thriving, you're, you're being fruitful in something. A lot of times that's economically. We, when we think of somebody that's flourishing, we think of not only are they healthy, but that they're also wealthy. Like, yes, you can make a little bit of money and flourish, but those that are really flourishing in our culture are those that are really making a lot of money. What else? Content. Content? Yeah, you're, you're okay with what there is? I missed another one. Joyful and peaceful? Yeah, they're happy. Like, flourishing people are happy all the time, right? You're not allowed to be sad ever. You're just happy. What else? One more. Balanced. Balanced, yeah. That ever-seeking life-work balance in our culture, right? As if you can be balanced. Can I also throw out that I think if you're really flourishing, you aren't always happy? Yeah, well, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> but there's, a, there's just a picture culturally, though, that if you're flourishing, you're usually healthy, you're wealthy, you're fulfilled, right? You're, you're doing what you love to do. You're able to seek your heart's content. And I'll even throw in one last one. You're connected. You're, you know the right people and the right people are able to get you the right jobs that end up making you more money. It's, it's about being connected. And this is very similar to Jesus' day and age. Somebody that was well-known, somebody that was flourishing, somebody that was thriving in culture at that time was somebody that knew the right people, that was invited to the right parties, and that was able to use those relationships to have a specific posture as somebody who was flourishing in life. And yet he begins his most famous sermon ever given with a radical redefinition of this very idea. What Scott McKnight calls the radical revisioning of the people of God. Jesus doesn't say the wealthy and the healthy and the fulfilled and connected are flourishing. Who does he say is? 
Now, let, let me start this by making sure we understand this very important word that you see in the beginning of each of these statements that we translate as blessed. Okay? So, this is the term makarios. I want you to actually say this with me. Say makarios. Okay, so there's a couple different ways in which this word is best understood. Now, when we see the term blessed, like blessed are you who, usually what comes to our mind is that we're passive recipients of something, something. Hey, you are blessed. God must have given you something. Whether you earned it or don't earn it, you must be blessed because of that way. So it's, or we tend to think of it as a conditional blessing. It's a passive blessing. Hey, God's just, you're blessed with those skills. You haven't done anything to deserve them. It's just what you get. Or it's a conditional blessing, which is if you do this, then you will receive these results. So if we read the Beatitudes in a conditional statement, we, can, we often don't even realize we're putting in if and then. If you are poor in spirit, then the kingdom of heaven is yours. The conditional thing. You have to do the first part of it in order to receive the second part of it. But that's not what's taking place in the Beatitudes. If this is not a passive reception, like, oh, God's just given this to you. Nor is it a, you've done, now therefore you get to receive. Neither one of those is makarios. Makarios is used in two different ways. First, it's a congratulations. Like, congratulations, happy birthday, makarios. Like, well done. It's a recognition that you're in a state of being that is good. Congratulations, makarios. And a better reading in our cultural context, I would submit to you, is the term flourishing. Flourishing, makarios. You're in a place that you should be congratulated for, celebrated for. Happy birthday. So it's a, it's a statement that you are in a place or a state of being like Judah in his first birthday, that had done nothing to receive it, but it's just because you are you. You're in this place. This, um, and why you are flourishing is because, not because of the first statement, as we're going to see very shortly, it's because you're going to now get a new experience that you would not have gained Unless you are in this state of being. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, the scriptures does not present us with a moral code and tell us live up to this. Nor does it set up a system of doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. Rather, the biblical way is to tell a story and in the telling uh, invite live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in the God-made and God-ruled world. This is what involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. Makarios, congratulations. You're in this way of being. And when you're in this way of being, in that you will experience something that you would have not experienced before. And so one... 
a scholar. We're going to go through these very briefly in each of them. And we're going to substitute the makarios. Instead of say blessed, we're going to say flourishing are those. And there's another tricky word in these passages, the three-letter word for. It says, usually it reads, blessed are those for theirs. That same word can be translated because. Okay? So flourishing are those because. And we're going to read those. The way this passage is set up, there's three different triads. There's groupings of three that kind of work together. And we're going to look at those uh, together. So verses three through five, you'll see this new uh, understood translation on the screen. Flourishing are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing are the mourners for they will be comforted. And flourishing are the humble because they will inherit the earth. World. Excuse me. This is the triad that I'll call humility of the poor. This is the humility of the poor. So if, hey, congratulations, Makarios, flourishing are those. What are the quality of those that are here? What's the state of being for these? The first one, it says, is poor in spirit. Now, this is not primarily speaking economically. In Luke's translation of the Beatitudes, he only has the term poor. But in Matthew's, it has the term poor in spirit. Matthew's trying to make sure they understand the Isaiah backdrop of this. And what he's saying is this is a posture of heart that is humble that, and that recognizes your need for God's grace. I'm going to throw another term in here. This is when you realize that you are needy. Blessed or flourishing are the needy. Now, just listening to that, just saying that's like, whoa. What do you mean flourishing are the needy? I thought flourishing meant, means you're independent. You've got it all figured out yourself. You don't need anybody. You can just do it all on your own. But what Jesus says in his kingdom is that I and you are needy. Now, we're needy for God to justify us. We're needy in the sense that none of our works are, have made us acceptable before God. I need God's grace extended to me because apart from his works, I am a, a sinner in the eyes of God. I'm an enemy of God. I need his grace given to me and you need your, his grace given to you so that you can be brought into the family of God. As we sang earlier, brought into the fold of God so that you can be a child of God. You need his grace on your behalf in order for that. You've done nothing to earn that. But a lot of times when we start thinking of neediness, it's only there. But what, what the scriptures actually teach us is we're needy and we're dependent our whole life in Christ. There's a, a passage in Philippians 1. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like, okay, work it out. What do you mean by work it out? For it is God who both wills in you and works in you according to his good pleasure. So if you have a desire to follow what God wants for you, you're needy for him to even give you that desire. This is why we can say, Father, we, want, we know that this is what you desire of us, but I don't really want that. Help me in my unbelief. 
help me want what you want because we're needy for him to even give us those desires. But not just that, we're needy for him to give us the ability to do it. We need his spirit to be able to grow and to mature. So why is neediness flourishing? What do you get to experience by being poor in spirit? By being in a state of recognizing your need before him. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get to experience the rule and reign of Jesus now. Now, I'm going to be fully honest with you in a second. I don't like this one. I don't like the idea of having to be needy. I do a, a monthly um, a counseling, if you will, spiritual director, however you want to call it, with a very, very dear friend of mine um, who's actually going to be doing one of the trainings coming up in April named Abe. And we were processing through some stuff and we're going through my story and uh, it's been really, really eye-opening seeing what God's, uh, how my heart is looking for certain things that he's taking away so that I can find my rest and my fullness in him. And so the idea of being needy bothers me. I don't want to be, not only do I not want to be seen as needy, I don't want to be needy in and of itself. I want to make, I want it to, I want to have it all figured out. I want to, even in my flesh, I want to present like I have it all figured out. I, don't, I want to be able to do all these things. I want to be able to fulfill all these things. I want to be able to say, oh, I don't need you, but it'd be nice to have you. And what this is saying is, no, that's not flourishing. Flourishing are people that understand their need. That they don't have it figured out. That they don't have all of it and that they are in need of him. Because at that point, in that place of being, theirs is the kingdom of God. He doesn't stop at needy. These next two are also unbelievable. Blessed are those who are flourishing are those who mourn because they shall be comforted. Now, let me be clear. This is not an encouragement to seek suffering. Okay? Some people have taken that in the past. This isn't saying, hey, go try to figure out how you can be pain and suffering. Bad idea. Don't do that. What this is, is this is recognizing that there is a sad reality in the world that we live in. The world that we live in is not created, or is created good, and is not able to experience that because of the sinful rebellion of humanity. God created all of creation as good as an expression of his love and an expression of his greatness and glory. He designed it for humanity to live in. And yet, what happens? Adam and Eve sin, they rebel, sin enters, and the whole story shifts. What is this saying? Flourishing are those who mourn. Now, this is not in spite of our pain. This is not... In spite of any of that, what this is saying, and I believe this is inviting us into the middle of the sadness. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? But I thought we were supposed to be happy all the time. 
No, no, no. Blessed are those who realize and recognize the sadness of the state of this world. The sadness of what's actually taking place. As somebody who likes to recognize sadness and then move on, that's my tendency. I like, okay, that's really sad. That's a bummer. And I'm going to just get back to work. That's, that's the tendency in which I, but that's not mourning. Mourning is being able to not only recognize the sadness, but be able to be sit in the sadness. And just, this, is, this is wrong. This is sad. Not, not gloss over it. Not just be like, oh, this is not that big of a deal. Not undermine it, but sit in. Why? Because in the middle of that sitting in, you get to experience the comfort of God. Flourishing are you who mourn. Because in the middle of that, you get to experience God in a way that you never knew was possible. As somebody who uh, has experienced that in various different ways, in high school we had four friends all under the age of 18 die, um, tragically in various different ways. And even recently with our friend Randy, who took his own life, um, he was a, the, one of the elders or the elder of so much coma. The recognition that if you in, allow yourself to sit in the sadness, sit in the morning, be there and just recognize it, it's in that place that you get to be comforted by God. And his goodness and his gentleness and his, the beauty of what God can do in that moment is magnificent. Flourishing are you who experience that. And lastly, or it's not lastly, in the last of this triad, flourishing are the meek. The meek. A lot of times when we think of meekness, we think of power restrained. And what I'm going to say is meek is actually flourishing are the powerless ones. Flourishing are those that aren't in power. Flourishing are those that don't have any power. And why is that? Because they will inherit the land. This is the recognition of the the physical and spiritual promise that's given to God's people that they would have a land that would be their own. The blessings of God in the Old Testament very much tied to the land. Now, in Christ, that blessing or that um, way of being is not just a specific geographical location. Paul actually goes beyond that and says, actually, you will inherit the whole world. What he's saying, all of God's creation, all of his goodness, all that he has for you, you will get to experience that again in his kingdom. So flourishing are those who not through power, not through strength, not through might, do they want to or try to inherit the land. Flourishing are those who recognize that they are powerless. So do you still think that you have the power, the ability to either change your own life or to change the whole world? In my foolishness, I'm hoping I'm giving you some pictures of how this doesn't work out because I'm better at that. In my foolishness, I think that I have the ability to change things. 
I, I think that, oh, if I, and I, I can work a formula in my mind. Oh, you do this, and then you do this, and then you receive this result. Now, in a lot of ways in the world, that does work, and that's how God designed it. In my particular vocation, that's not how it works. I'm, I'm foolish to think that, oh, if I just provide this specific thing within our church family, and then we do this within our church family, and then we do this, as if it's a formula, then we're going to be killing, hitting it on all cylinders. With the reality, that's not how it works. It's part of what I'm learning. How it works is no. What is, what is this triad? We're, we're needy. We're dependent upon God to do what only God can do. We're powerless. We don't have the ability unless God shows up. But flourishing are the powerless because they will inherit the land. They will the ones that get to experience God's physical blessings and spiritual blessings because they're in a place of neediness and recognition that they never had power in the first place. We're gonna, the next two triads we'll go through fairly quickly. The second one, verses 6 through 8, those, this is what I'll call those who pursue righteousness and justice. Let's read verses 6. Flourishing are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Flourishing are the merciful because they will be given mercy. Flourishing are the pure in heart because they will see God. What is, who are those that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Now, there's some intensity in this passage that we don't fully see. Now, when we think of hunger and thirst, we think, man, I haven't eaten in like three hours. I'm kind of hungry. I could use my afternoon snack. Right? Like, oh, I could use that protein bar right now. Hungry. Or, oh, I, I, have, I just had a cup of coffee. I should probably have some water. Which is true. But that's not thirsting. Hungering, there's a, there's a longing, a, a desire for, a striving after. This is a picture of those who are not complacent with either the way of their personal life nor with the state of the world. The term righteousness just quickly has these two understandings. Righteousness in the sense of this is a right standing before God. And in the Old Testament, righteousness had a sense of justice. Not only right standing before God, but the right way the world was designed to be. So those who are thirsting for, um, hungering and thirsting are those who are unsatisfied with the status quo. Unsatisfied at a place of, why is it not more? You can almost use the term frustrated. God, what, hungering and thirsting. God, why do I still have these areas of my life? Why is our missional community still wrestling this? Why are we as a church family still? There's a hunger and a thirsting for right standing and right use. But it's also for a sense of justice. God, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Help me, help us work towards that. Now, we know we're powerless too. We can't fix it all. But there's a striving for something that is not what it already is. Flourishing are you who are unsatisfied with the status quo. (coughs) 
flourishing with those who are not complacent in their personal life, nor with the way in which the world is. You're flourishing in that because you will be satisfied. Now, what? I thought I was powerless to these things. Here's the amazing thing about the kingdom of God. It's both present and its future. It's been inaugurated, but it has not been consummated. The final victory battle, the, the, the changing of the battle against the enemy that shifts the tides has been won. But yet, it's still, there's still a battle going on. Those of us that are hungering and in this place of unsatisfaction, what happens is we recognize that in God's grace, we will get to experience what we long for one day. In the new heavens and new earth, when God returns to completely wipe away all of this sin, Satan, and death, and when he comes and renews and restores all of creation, where we will have our new glorified bodies and walk this earth like we were meant to, when Jesus, or when, excuse me, in the garden with Adam and Eve, we, those, we will get to experience that. Blessed, flourishing are the merciful, those who recognize that they have been wronged and yet still, still extend mercy to others. And then flourishing are the devoted. Flourishing are those who are pure in heart. This is a pure in heart is a picture of devotion. There's a singular minded, singular devotion to God and his ways. This is a, these three give us a picture of a singularly devoted person who strives for personal and corporate renewal and transformation. There's a hungering, there's a thirsting, there's a desiring, and there's a uh, recognition that we need to extend that because God has extended it to us. And lastly, I'll focus on one of these. Uh, uh, verses 9 through 12. Flourishing are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. Flourishing are the ones persecuted on account of righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing are you, you whenever people revile and slander and speak all kinds of evil things against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your rewards in, is great in heaven. In the same way, people slandered the prophets who came before you. So flourishing are those peacemakers. Those who are seeking peace. These are people that recognize their posture before God as one who has given us peace, given us shalom, even when we are enemies that knows that God is about peace and about pursuing that peace in this world. You are flourishing. Now, why is that? Because you will be called children of God. Jesus had in his day what he were zealous. These were people that were aggressively, uh, militarily trying to overthrow Rome. They were using power and might in order to bring about God's kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying is here is no. Now remember, Jesus actually had one of his disciples who was a zealot. And he said, no, that's not the way of it that it's supposed to happen. My people are to be known as a people of peace. Now, 
peacemaking, not in the sense of being nice and over nice and overlooking wrongs, nor recognize saying that nothing is wrong. Peacemaking is being able to step in, is what one scholar says, an active entrance into the middle of warring parties for the purpose of creating reconciliation and peace. Peacemakers don't overlook wrongs. Peacemakers also don't step away from wrongs and let them figure it out. Peacemakers have a posture that they receive peace and step into what's wrong in the world and try to reconcile it the way that God has reconciled us to himself. And the last two are those who have been persecuted and slandered, both physical and verbal abuse um, on behalf of, it says, in my account, on the behalf of Jesus. Now, when I look at this list, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't, uh, if that is the life of flourishing, I'm not hitting it on all cylinders. I, I, not only in my life and my posture before God, but even how I think. I, I still have a problem thinking that certain parts of this is flourishing. It's, like as I mentioned, flourishing are the needy. Flourishing are those that go about peace, that are singularly devoted, that are humble and powerless. So if I think of that list of flourishing, this is, I can easily start to recognize that I'm a failure when it comes to that list. I don't live up to that. I don't have that posture. Nor do I always think and that that is the real true picture of what it means to flourish. This is where the gospel truly comes to bear. Matthew, in, this, in his accounts, I believe the Sermon on the Mount and even the Beatitudes is a table of contents to the life of Jesus. So let me tell you this. What flourishing are those who are humble and poor in spirit? What does Jesus say about himself in Matthew 11? He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in spirit. Jesus was humble. How did he enter into Jerusalem uh, into, leading into Holy Week? It says on a, a lowly, humble donkey. The king of the world was humble. Jesus also gives us the picture of blessed, flourishing are those who grieve or who mourn. Matthew 23, you see him that he's crying out over Jerusalem, longing for them to come back. You see in John's gospel, when a dear friend of his died, he's weeping. And he's weeping even though he knows he's about to resurrect him. So he knows that it's about to be fixed and he still is able to sit in it and grieve and mourn the loss. Jesus was the better pure in heart. In Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted in all these different ways by Satan himself. And he was singularly devoted to God and did exactly what he wanted. Jesus shows mercy in Matthew 14. He goes about feeding the 5,000. 
Jesus brings peace. He shows us that in that he himself died for our unpeace, but then he sent his disciples in Matthew 28, 20 to bring about that peace elsewhere. He himself suffered both physical and verbal persecution. He bore the weight of what you and I deserve on the cross. He did not deserve that. He was spit on. He was yelled at. He was defiled. Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, perfectly fulfills life of flourishing. And he did it for you and me because he knew that we couldn't do it ourselves. He knew that we were powerless. He knew we couldn't live up to it. And so what did he do? He did it for us. And so in that, Jesus knows that we can't. He gives us the example. He fulfills it himself. And then he invites the failures in. You and I cannot flourish in this life without Jesus. Either bringing us into the kingdom and our justification before him. Nor can we flourish while we're in the kingdom and trying to live life the way that he's designed it to be. If your understanding of what it means to have the good life or thrive does not have Jesus in it, it's not in line with the picture of what he gave us in the Beatitudes. Like the one-year-old at the first birthday party who came with nothing to offer, yet... Makarios, congratulations. We who have nothing to offer, we who are broken in our sin, we who are failures to this standard that can't live up to it are welcomed into his kingdom when we recognize our need for him. When we understand his grace being extended to him. This is a list of people that have nothing to offer and yet he welcomes them in. We aren't flourishing in life when we've got it all together, when we've got it figured out, when we're independent. We're not flourishing in the ways of this world. We're flourishing when we know that we've got nothing to offer, when we're, we recognize our sad and mourn, mourning, when we are powerless, when we're devoted and when we're unsatisfied with the way that things are. That's the life of flourishing. And what does that look like? Completely upside down according to come the world. And what do we get in the middle of that? We get him. We get his graciousness. We get to be called children of God, people that have been adopted into his family. We get to experience his comfort. We get to see him. For so much of my life, the, I focused on the works of Jesus. That's what Jesus has done on your behalf. What the Beatitudes lead us to and what a flourishing life looks like is you don't just dwell on what Jesus has done for you. You realize that you get him. It's not just he's done this so I can go about living my life. It's no, he's done this for me so I get him. He is the true treasure. 
And we, get, we see that here, and we get to remind one another of that at the table. What he accomplished for us on the cross in his body being broken, which we remember by taking away, or by breaking the bread, and that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins while we have the juice or wine, is that we are in need of his gracious love, his act on our behalf, in our place for our sins. When I'm a failure in the life of flourishing, Jesus perfectly fulfilled it, and imperfectly fulfilling it dies on our behalf. And not only that, he rose victoriously over the things of sin, Satan, and death that hold us back from the true picture of flourishing, both in our belief and in our actions. And what does he do? He now sends his spirit to us to empower us to live in those ways. And so when we go to the table, and I invite you to the table as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us so that we can experience him afresh in every day. A few brief instructions. I invite you to the table. Do uh, smaller groups like we did last week. uh, Groups of three, at most four. Um, Take the elements. Don't take them and, and then go into a little... Um, section, a little group. And I want you to just say, which one of those stood out to you most? Which one do you maybe need help with the most? What, maybe it's even, which one do you wrestle with the most? Do you not want to lead into that life of flourishing? And then what I want you to do is, in that moment, you have an opportunity to say, this is what Jesus has done for us in light of that. I don't want what God wants, but you know what? Thank you that his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And now he's giving you and changing your heart. Man, I, I, I just, I don't like being needy. Well, in, his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin because he knew that you were needy. He knew you couldn't do it on your own. And he wants to help you and walk with you and empower you to recognize that because in doing that, you'll get life. And so this is for those who profess faith. In Jesus, if you have yet to do so, this is a, an invitation to you. You may have a picture of what flourishing is apart from Jesus, or you may think that you've got it all figured out and you don't need Jesus. This is an invitation for you to realize that in the eyes of a holy God, he has graciously sent his own son to die in your place for your sins to be brought as a child of God, to be adopted and invited into a new way of life that is truly flourishing. And so if you're making that step for the first time today, this is an invitation for you to take and eat, to let somebody know at the table with you that you are professing faith for the first time in that way. So I'm going to pray for you, go to those tables, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll finish the gathering together. So, Father, thank you. That you've given us the picture of what flourishing is. God, thank you that you perfectly fulfilled what we could not do. And you welcome those of us that are often failures to be considered children of God. Thank you that your grace was extended to us. Thank you that you are the rightful recipient of Makarios. That you are the rightful recipient of the congratulations because in your life, you perfectly showed us what that looks like. 
And God, as we are in this fallen and broken world, we get to experience a flourishing life because ultimately by your spirit, we get to experience you. And so we go to the table to remind one another of those truths. That Jesus, your life was a perfect sacrifice and substitute for our sins. That your death forgives us in your resurrection. You defeat our greatest enemies of sin, Satan, and death. You give us new life and you inaugurate a new kingdom that we get to experience you now. God, we long for the day where you right all the wrongs in this world. We long for that. And God, in the midst of this, in the midst of us waiting for that fulfillment, thank you that you've given us hope by your spirit to continue to walk in your ways. So Father, we thank you. And we go to the table in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are invited to the table. Go and have those conversations and then come back. Thank you.